Today is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday, where uh, we make a stand and join efforts to protect those children yet unborn and not dispose of them like they're just simply matter, but that they really do matter so much they should have life. And uh, Scott Swinton and Rebecca have quite a story. They work with options for women, uh, along with Tim Larson and others, and many of you support options for women. We thank you for that. And he's on the board and represents that ministry. And uh, uh, I was talking to him, could they share their story? And he talked Rebecca into it, and so they're willing to do it. So uh, they've been in California the last 15 years, come from uh, South Carolina. And uh, uh, they're just wonderful people, and we want you to meet them, hear them, and uh, after the service, if you have any questions uh, in this area, saving life, a girl that may be in trouble that doesn't know which way to turn, uh, this would be a wonderful couple for them to make contact with. So come, Scott and Rebecca. Come welcome them. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, uh, Valley Bible Church. We started attending here a little over two years ago, and uh, I remember we sat right back there on our first service and cried. Um, we knew we had found our home when we, the very first service. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sanctity of human life. We're going to talk a little bit about options for women, we'll spend most of the time telling you our story. Um, Becky spends most of the time talking, which is best. Her memory's a lot better than mine is about these events. And uh, we are going to read a little bit. I don't know if that's distracting to you, but we'll, we'll read a little bit because some of what we wrote in the moment was um, raw, and it speaks a little better than what we can give you in, in retrospect. But I want to start with uh, reading from Isaiah 55. I'm going to be giving you some excerpts, so you can try to follow along. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the water, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Sanctity of Human Life Day was established in 1984 to give us a reason to remember January 22nd, 1973, which was the date of the ruling on Roe v. Wade. Now, Becky and I understand that abortion is more than just a choice. It's also brokenness. It's, it's pain. It's, it's frustration, and maybe more than anything else, it's a lack of hope. You see, abortion is more than just a white-collar choice to remove an obstacle from a career path. Abortion is about poverty. It's about drugs. It's about homelessness. It's about broken hearts. It's about human trafficking. You can't someday take the abortion issue and stick it in a box and put a lid on it and set it on the closet shelf and say, we've passed a law. Now, it would be good if we can change a law. But all the other tangential issues that go with abortion are holes in that box. You can't just stick it away. It's more than about just changing a law. It's about changing a culture. Changing from a culture of, of hopelessness to a culture of life, from a culture of darkness to a culture of light. When asked, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Behind every one of the over 60 million lives lost since Roe v. Wade, there's a story. Many of those stories include a broken-hearted young lady who feels she has no other choice. And she's my neighbor. All of those stories involve a father. And he's your neighbor. Some of those stories involve parents who encouraged a young lady to make a choice so that she didn't throw her life away. And they are your neighbors. Every one of those stories involved a doctor, and she's your neighbor. What are we doing to speak life into all of those lives? It's not just about changing a law. It's about changing a culture to a culture of life. Becky and I have eight children. Uh, four of them are here with us at church today, and four of them are waiting for us in heaven. And in spite of what we've learned through loss and adoption, we'd be the first to tell you we certainly don't have it all figured out. See, God's ways are a paradox. Jesus said when he walked this earth, he would say, he would say things like, if you want to be first, you have to be last. And those who are last will be first. And he said, if you lose your life, you gain it. I think God spoke to Becky and I with our own paradox, and he said, through the loss of life, 
I'm going to give you a better appreciation for life, give you a better understanding of my perspective on life. There's probably no better passage to illustrate that than what I just read, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts than, than your ways and your thoughts. Today we want to celebrate life and hope with you by sharing a little bit of our adventure. Um, this is our story. Is, is it unique? Yes, because it's ours. These were our experiences. But is it really unique? No, because you, you all have your story. Peter had to stand up and get out of the boat. Abraham had to leave Mesopotamia, take his tent with him, and go to a place he had no idea where God was sending him. Uh, Joseph sat in an Egyptian prison. Rahab sat atop that wall watching the Israel army come and hope that those spies God was going to be good to his word. We all have our story, the things that changed our life. So this is ours. Again, thank you for a little bit of time so we can share it with you. I wanted to add my thanks um, for this opportunity Scott and I truly believe that God gave us this story so that we would tell it and make him famous because it really is all about him. It's his story, and he's, he's worthy of our praise. So when our oldest daughter, Ella, was about two years old, we decided that it was time to try to add to our family with another child. And I think rather naively, I thought it would be as easy as it had been the first time. Um, but a few months down the road, I realized that I was having trouble, and after a series of testing, we realized that we were dealing with infertility issues. Um, many of you um, have walked this road, or maybe you're walking this road right now, and you know how lonely of a journey it is, how painful. There is deep loss and grief that goes along with infertility, that loss maybe not of an actual life, but of a dream of holding a child and calling him or her yours. Um, that loss, month after month after year after year, um, is a very difficult journey. And I found it to be very lonely, mostly because um, Though Scott is a very good husband and tried to understand my longing for another child, he didn't have that same longing. And so in God's mercy, um, we walked uh, this road separately. We had always gone through things together up until that point in our marriage. Um, anything hard, we faced it head on together. And this time I was having to run to my Savior instead. And... I found exactly what I needed there. Um, as I saw his face, he, he began to teach me so many things. Um, one of those things was that I can trust him completely, that he's always good, um, and to praise him while I'm waiting. Um, the <clears throat> one of the hardest questions that I wrestled with was um, I couldn't make myself get pregnant <laughs> um, and 
God is the only giver of life. Um, he's the only one who should take life. And I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile in my mind why others so easily got pregnant who didn't want their babies. Um, that was a big challenge for me. And though I still don't have any really good answers for that, um, I do know that God is good all the time, that he doesn't make mistakes, and that he redeems everything, <laughs> every, every broken thing. He wants to redeem it. Um, one of the times that I was crying out to the Lord, I was reading Psalm 116, and it starts off, I love the Lord because he has heard me. And about that time, I heard an almost audible voice say, Beck, I've healed you. And it was such a powerful moment for me that I almost expected to be pregnant the next month. Um, but he made me wait a little bit longer. About a year later, we got a positive pregnancy test, and it was a very exciting time for us. Um, the three of us started to prepare for a new little life, who I believed would be a boy, because Ella, who was five at the time, had been praying for almost two years that she would have a baby brother. Uh, at that time, I was also reading through Ezekiel and was very impressed by his life, um, the fact that he followed hard after whatever God told him to do, no matter, no matter what, no matter the cost, even in the middle of his grief with his wife. Um, and <clears throat> I, I truly wanted a son like him. Um, little did I know that all I had, I had been learning through that time of infertility was just preparation for what God had next. On Friday, December 12, 2008, I wrote this in my blog. Our Christmas season has had some unexpected turns. The short version is this. My wife and I were expecting our second child. At just over 19 weeks, we went to the ultrasound, which was to determine the gender of our baby. We received news at that time that our child was already in heaven. We spent the next two days at the hospital grieving and waiting for our child to be delivered. We were overwhelmed by the love and support from our church and other friends. We chose to induce the delivery so that we would be able to see our baby and hold our baby. 1.25 a.m. of the second day, Friday, December 12, Becky delivered a 10-ounce, 10-and-a-half-inch baby boy. We named him Ezekiel, which means God strengthens, and he most certainly has. His body now lies in a cemetery in Concord, but we know that he is actually more alive than ever in the presence of our good God. I've avoided the obvious question of why. I don't know why. In the grand scheme of things, my experience is actually minor compared to the sorrow of so many. That doesn't help me any. The only thing that really helps is the consolation that someday I will meet and shake hands with the man that is my son. He will walk me through the gardens and the mountains of a new home. I have the assurance that in Christ, all are made alive. Another lesson that I had begun to learn as a result of infertility was from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, 
for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, a few days before my ultrasound, I was busy working in the kitchen um, in a hurry uh, and nearly knocked something over that would have made a huge mess. And I didn't have time for it. I breathed a quick prayer of thanks. Thank you, God, for not allowing that to, to happen. And a gentle voice said, Beck, if I had allowed that to happen, would you still have thanked me? And I honestly had to answer no. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I would have complained very loudly as I cleaned up the big mess. Um, it revealed to me my heart uh, that I'm truly not a grateful believer. Um, as a few days later, as we were sitting in the doctor's office waiting for confirmation of the news that we already knew in our hearts, um, we were in shock. And I heard that gentle voice again. And he asked me, Beck, are you going to thank me for this too? I didn't know how I could in that moment, but I wanted to. And he started a work in me of making me grateful for even that kind of pain. Shortly thereafter, our little Gianna was conceived and born in the middle of deep grief. Um, about this same time, a friend of ours lost his wife in childbirth. We were, we were fit to be tied. <laughs> we were overwhelmed during that pregnancy and uh, the grief was just overwhelming to us. And the anxiety that I had at that time was greater than any anxiety I've ever had in my life. I, I feared for my wife, I feared for my baby, and God in his kindness and his patience just held our hand. And though I would have liked to have been the bold, brave soldier at that time, I wasn't, I was weak and um, just wanting to get it over with. And so as we sat in the, sat in the, uh, the, the um, Delivery room, thank you, it's a good word. Um, I looked down at my few seconds old daughter and I looked back and forth between my wife and her and, and I wanna say that I was joyous, but I wasn't. I felt nothing but overwhelming relief that we'd gotten through. And um, it, was, um, it was about that time that Becky and I were both looking at God and saying, we're done enough, no more. And I think that God in his heaven just chuckled and said, well, that, that's my job. We'll see. <laughs> about, my, about nine months after Gianna's birth, we found that we were expecting again. Uh, but at 10 weeks, that little one joined his big brother in the arms of Jesus. At that point, we were really telling God enough enough, no more pain, no more kids. We just want to move on with our life. A couple weeks after losing baby Sam, we were invited to our first fundraising banquet for Options for Women. Um, I sat there in tears during the presentation because I heard the heart of the ministry there and I knew that we had found part of the purpose, part of the why for our pain. When we had held 
Ezekiel and said goodbye to him, we saw how perfect he was, and it occurred to us that little little ones like him had horrific things done to them every day, and it lit a fire in our hearts, and we knew that we had to do something more to fight for life, um, but that wasn't the time, and we didn't have any idea what that would look like, but... Um, over the next couple of years, we kind of half-heartedly looked for ways to to do that, to fight a little bit more for life. <clears throat> we um, weren't really interested in getting involved politically or standing on a sidewalk picketing. Um, we really wanted something more personal, and we found it with Options for Women. Uh, I've been there since... 2011 volunteering and I love it there the heart that I heard that day at the banquet is is for real um, the love and compassion of Jesus is a part of daily ministry there um, so uh, about two years after Gianna was born we had more unexpected news that I was expecting again uh, so when God said that I had been healed, he sure wasn't kidding. It was, um, it was a surprise at first, but then we settled in pretty quickly and became excited, more excited about this pregnancy than I think any of our others because we knew for sure it, it was God's doing and we looked forward to the, the plans that he had for this little one. However, 16 weeks in, I was again at the hospital delivering another baby who had no life and she, Glorietta, um, had lived her life perfectly according to the Lord but I didn't think that plan was so perfect and I inwardly raged against the Lord for taking me down this path again. Um, I started to com combat that feeling of anger every way I knew how by speaking the truth that God is good. I knew that in my head, but somehow my heart couldn't believe it. And I didn't know what to do with that anger. Throughout that time, though, I held on to my verse, my verse from college. Um, it's Isaiah 61.3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I knew that this was a promise, that God had a purpose for our pain. And I also knew at that point that it wasn't infertility that I needed healing from. It was from the selfishness and, and sickness of my soul. Around the year 2010, Becky and I realized that we had both been having the same thoughts um, about orphans, about adoption, about foster care. We didn't know where God was actually leading us to, but we were both thinking the same thoughts. And I give praise to God that his Holy Spirit worked on our hearts together in this way and led us to a good place. Um, we didn't know if it was us supposed to do it or if we should 
spend money on a cause. All we knew is that God wanted us to do something. And so we basically waited. God, what do you want us, what do you want us to do with this? In 2013, I wrote, there has been a major battle in my heart because I love my life just the way it is. I am blessed and content. My little family makes me so very rich. Why would I go and hang my heart out so that it might get crushed again? Why would I disturb our ordered chaos and start over with the nighttime feedings and smelly diapers, tantrums, and all that comes along with small children? Always that still small voice answers, because life isn't about you, now is it? After hearing the song Overcomer by Amandisa, it occurred to me that this needed to be our theme song for that school year. We had some overcoming to do. And I was thinking, Overcomer? Really? For theme? <laughs> I don't want to overcome things. I want some smooth sailing here for a little while. <laughs> why, yeah. why overcome? And I wasn't so sure I wanted another adventure either. Um, but working at Options had me surrounded by adoption stuff. At least that's how it felt at the time. Um, I seemed to keep bumping into people who had adopted. And I soon met a mom who had adopted her girls from China, which was a particular soft spot with me for a variety of reasons. As Debbie and I talked adoption, she made the statement, you know, it's not a coincidence that we met. That haunted me, but I still fought the battle with my own heart. What am I thinking? I am not the kind of mother for this job. How would we manage? I can't even manage what we already have. What if God is just moving us to give so that someone else can adopt a different family without so many flaws? When I took the mail out of the mailbox that next Saturday, the top magazine had a cover story on adoption. I threw the magazine on the counter and refused to look at it. I couldn't believe it. As the day progressed, every so often I'd pause and read another part of the article. It was irresistible to me. The ache in my heart cried out to God, show me what to do. I, I don't know what you want or how to do it. Two days later, I opened my email and found that my friend was connected to a birth mom needing an out-of-state adoptive family for her baby. The birth mom was interested in California for some reason, and my friend thought of me. And when I read her email, the typical, typically still small voice couldn't be louder. I sat and cried buckets. The next logical thing was to lay it all out for Scott and see what he said. And after he read the email, he turned and looked at me with a crooked smile and said, well, I'm up for another challenge. Shock, had God really made it that easy? I didn't even have to make a case. This is the same man who was indifferent toward us having a second child. But God had gotten a hold of him too and moved his heart a little more from self to love, just like me. So this got our adoption ball rolling. Adoption for us is about taking little steps of faith and going through <laughs> open doors when they open up. Um, it wasn't our, our grand plan. This was God's plan. And he kind of dropped it in our lap. Becky actually went to Michigan and met the, met the young lady. And though that adoption didn't go through. We didn't actually adopt her, her baby. Um, like I said, it got the ball rolling. 
and we started walking through those open doors. We contacted an adoption agency. We contacted an adoption attorney and um, started, started writing the checks. And as you know, you start paying for something, you kind of want to finish the job, right? Because the Michigan mother was um, not necessarily out of the picture completely, we just kept pushing forward with the process, kept signing our name to papers. And um, somewhere along the process, the uh, adoption attorney came to us and said, I have another mother I know of in Phoenix, Arizona. Are you guys interested in looking at her profile? I opened that profile and saw that she was having a boy and her due date was the same as my due date had been with Ezekiel. I quickly closed that profile and avoided, avoided it all weekend, but I couldn't get her off my mind. And so by Monday, we were talking about her and decided that we would be presented to her. And it just so happened that she was meeting with her adoption attorney the next day, read our profile, couldn't stop crying, and decided on the spot that we were the ones. Two and a half months later, we were on our way to Phoenix, Arizona to meet our little boy. We're very blessed to have a continuing relationship with Dawson's first mama. Um, at the hospital, we had many conversations with her, and in one of those conversations, I realized that she had made a critical decision for life for our son at 19 weeks, which is when I lost Ezekiel. Um, so we continue that long distance relationship and two years later. <laughs> About the time Dawson was turning two, he entered a period of uh, night terrors and some of you know what that's like and my heart goes out to you. Um, poor little guy woke up multiple times in the middle of the night screaming at the top of his lungs like somebody was trying to kill him and inconsolable and we feel bad for him but the whole family's suffering. Everybody wakes up. It's, you can't sleep through something like that. So we're going through sleepless nights and we get a um, email from the birth mommy and she says, um, I'm expecting again. Don't know if you guys are interested in another adoption. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we weren't. <laughs> my, 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 I knew, I knew that we were adopting again. I just knew. Becky wasn't so sure. You know, she stays home with the kids all day. <clears throat> I was afraid. I was afraid of getting attached. There were some very desperate circumstances attached with this particular adoption. If Dawson's adoption had its ups and downs, this one was off the charts. <laughs> it, everything became a test of faith. I really felt that it was fiata complete. We were, we were adopting this baby, and uh, we just, we wanted to have faith. I wanted to have that amazing faith that says, let's just go, let's do this thing. And we wanted to both be able to get out of the boat and walk on the water to Jesus. But we were still sitting in that boat, wondering, what, what is God doing? And he used Hebrews 11 in my life. Now, that's the great faith chapter. That's where you go. To, to try to get encouraged. But these verses specifically spoke to me 
The author of Hebrews is talking about those who had had faith. They had, they had done this thing. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return there. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And this is the part that spoke to me. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All I could think was, am I the type of Jesus follower that when God looks down and looks at me and says, I'm not ashamed of that one. He's mine. I'm not ashamed to be called his God. So we started praying and planning. And, sort of. Um, <laughs> However much we could have planned. <laughs> we were exhausted. <laughs> Sleepless nights. Our house was too small. It would not have past our home study, so that meant selling and buying a new house, which we couldn't afford um, on our tight budget, and um, so that our, our circumstances just seemed impossible at that point. Jen was convinced she was having a girl. We already had two girls in a bedroom, a small bedroom, and then only one other bedroom for a child. We had to move. There's just all there was to it. We had to move. We sat down with our realtor and started flipping the calendar and realized that we had to sell our house now. There was no thinking about it. There was, we just had to sell it now. And so we put the house on the market. And the first weekend, somebody came and placed an offer on our house. Except that at about the same time, we got word that not only this coming adoption, but even the past adoption with Dawson could be compromised. It might be the whole thing called into question. We were overwhelmed. What, what do you do? So we're getting ready to go sign papers to sell our house, and we get a call from the adoption attorney, and um, the situation is, is not good. She doesn't even really recommend us going forward with it. And, and we're we, about to sell our house. We're sitting down to sign papers, and we're homeless after this because we can't afford a bigger house. <laughs> I distinctly remember sitting at that table with, with Becky, and we're both holding a pen about with a stack of, you know what the stack of paperwork looks like? <laughs> and looking at each other, we have that, that, that same look in our eyes like, like you first. No, you first. Like, are, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to? We're, we're crazy, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment when, when we stood up in the boat and we stepped over the edge and we stepped out on the water because we had nowhere to go. We felt like Abraham. We were packing up our tent. And, okay, God, show us the way. And he did. I, I mean, there are so many miracles other than our house miracle that we could tell you about. Um, there's many things that are very personal to the birth family and to our boys that we can't share with you, but miracle after miracle, God is in the details. He loves details, and 
I love that about him because it seems like he, he likes to show me the details and show, show me just a little bit more of how great he is, that he really does care about everything. We brought our new little boy home from Arizona to our beautiful new home that God provided for us. Um, I'll take a little liberty here and tell another little story. Um, what's the name? Was it the Armstrongs? We were invited when we uh, first joined to go to uh, a dinner in honor of the new members. And uh, we went to their house, and little Gianna um, had gone in their backyard, and they overlooked Refugio Valley. And that had impressed her. And so we sat around the kitchen table when the house crisis was hot for us. And I just sat there and I asked everybody at the table, all my family, what, what do you want to see God provide for us in a house? Because we didn't know what even to, to pray for. You know, we were so blessed already. You know, we weren't asking for more rooms and more bathrooms. And we want, we, and like God, really, we have enough, but we do want some stuff. And I, I went around the table and everybody kind of laid out what it is they wanted to see in a house. And that little girl, she said, I want something like, um, like, like where we were for that, that dinner, where you can see things. See things? Like, I wanna, like you want a view? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, this kid has no idea what views cost. <laughs> we did not entertain a single house. We put that out before God. We laid it all out. We said, God, here you go. This is what we want. We never looked at a single house if it didn't have a view. If it didn't have a view, we wrote it off. Because God had told us, get out of the boat. When our boys' birth parents chose an adoption plan over termination, they made an incredibly wise and selfless decision. Um, not because of us at all, um, but because God has plans for those boys. God has made it clear that they were made for our family. Um, and that, that concept is incredibly hard for my mama heart to, to comprehend. Um, the fact that um, the birth parents uh, gave their boys to us um, was an incredible gift and it involved their loss and their pain as well. So we brought little Darius home, and uh, he gets to enjoy the same view that we enjoy every day, looking out over the Carquinez Strait into the Martinez Hills. I think God hears the prayers of six-year-old girls. God knows what he's doing. To conclude, I want to circle back around to Isaiah 55. Like the, like the rain and the snow that fall on the earth, and they don't fall in vain, but they, but they water the earth. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We certainly found this to be true. God's word through all of this, was like honey to our need, our, our desire, our, our appetite for his word, for, 
our hope for an answer, it was like light on a very dark path sometimes. We didn't know where to go, where to turn, and God's word was that for us. What's next? Yeah, yeah we, I don't know. Uh, we often get the question, so are you guys done? Yes. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, in answer to that, um, there's Romans 8, which was huge for me through this time. Um, Paul has just gotten done saying that we are adopted into God's family, and he's said earlier in the chapter that all things work together for good. So in light of that, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, he who spared not his own son, how shall he not with us freely give us all things? Who shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ? I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, or height, or depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does it matter what's next? Not with that. Not with that kind of hope. At Options for Women, where I'm privileged now to be on the board of directors, we don't fight the evil of abortion with, with fancy arguments, or we don't even really try to fight it. We try to be hope in, in light. Um, we like to use the idea that you find in James 2, or the second book of James, where it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no works? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Kind of like, good luck, choose life, have a good day. That's not what we want to be about. Our goal is to show the love of Jesus to every person who comes through those doors, no matter what choice they've made. We want to give them hope. Statistics tell us that nearly every one of you in this room has been touched by abortion in one way or another, either by supporting someone through that choice, either for or against, or by making that choice yourself as a mother or father. Um, at Options for Women, we want you to know that your story matters, and we would love to hear your story if you would give us the opportunity to hear it. Uh, we have a, an abortion aftercare program um, that's meant for hope and for healing. And um, many of the staff and volunteers have walked through that healing process and um, can tell you that there is beauty from ashes and joy from mourning and they want to extend that to you. They want to see you um, have full life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So don't let the thief come and steal that abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Please allow the light of the world to shine in your dark places and make the beauty from ashes. Thank you for partnering with Options for Women, and thank you for your patience for our story. God bless.